Do you remember your first love letter? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, as an adult. I mean, as a kid, you're about fourth, fifth, sixth grade. You remember that one? You know the one that had a little piece of paper in it? And if you like me, check yes or no. You remember that one? I was sixth grade. Heartland Summer Camp. Her name was Nancy Oliver. Brown hair, glasses. The reason why I remember the name was because my grandpa had an Oliver tractor. That's why it stuck. Hey, I didn't say it was romantic. But I got the letter. And I remember opening it up. And you know, back then, the letters, you know, it had little hearts. And it had these XOs, XOs. I had no idea what XOXO meant. But she put XOXO. I don't think she knew either. And she had, had a little bit of perfume on it. And I had never gotten one of those before. And of course, a good love letter from a girl at this age says at the bottom, do not show this to anyone. So I showed it to my best friend, Scott. I didn't know what to do. You see, Scott would know. Scott was good looking. He was handsome and athletic. And normally when girls would want to be my friend, they wanted to be my friend, so I would introduce them to Scott. So I asked Scott, what do I do? And Scott said, Greg, it's Wednesday. We only have two more days of camp. Check yes. <laughs> You'll have a girlfriend for two days. So I checked yes. What a glorious two days. We looked at each other across camp for all of Wednesday. Thursday, we looked across camp at each other. Friday night was the one night they would let you sit with someone other than your cabin. So I got to sit by a girl for the first time. And at the end of camp, she said, aren't you going to hold my hand? Then she got on the bus and went to the big town of Bakersfield. And I never saw her again. Puppy love. But I was saved because they say puppy love leads to a dog's life and you'll get fleas. So I was saved. But a love letter. As I grew up, I found out what real love letters were about. I love the letters I get from my wife. Oh, yeah. And I'm not sharing them with you. <laughs> but I want to share with you a different love letter. A letter from a church planner to his church. I, in fact, I think 
Of all the churches he planted, this was his favorite. He doesn't ever point out a flaw in this church. He never says, hey guys, get your act together. In fact, the only time he ever points out anything in this church, he says, help a couple sisters get along. It's found in the book of Philippians. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to book to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. And I just want to show you Paul's heart. Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God. Wow. He's thankful. In all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer. I mean, I just can't get you off my mind. Talk about love. For you, for making my prayers with joy. Every time I think of you, I'm filled with joy. Because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Get this, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. He's saying, I love you with the same love that Jesus has for you. That's pretty high. He's holding nothing back. How did he meet this church? How did he fall in love with this church? What would make him feel this way? Well, if we're going to break the seal on this book, we've got to go back to another book. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I want you to understand that this church has first a unique birth with a unique timing. A unique birth with a unique timing. Now this, this church is born in the city of Philippi. There's a little bit of history we have to take care of first. And you need to put a few of these nuggets in your mind. Now the city of Philippi was a city with gold mines. Uh-huh. How'd you like to have a few gold mines, huh? Well, they had gold mines. And so Philip of Macedon, the uh, father of Alexander the Great, heard about these gold mines, and he said, I want them. And so he conquered that area. And he said, let's name the city here after me. Very humble move. And so they became his gold mines and his city, the city of Philippi, this Philip, Philippi. But the city, pretty much, even though it had some wealth, well, no one really paid it much attention until Rome came around. There was a guy by the name of Octavian or Octavius and he and a guy by the name of Anthony fought a war or a battle 
against Brutus and Cassius, and Octavius and Anthony won. Now, Brutus and, Oct and, and Cassius were fighting for the Republic, and Octavius and Anthony were fighting for the Empire. Okay, think Star Wars. Dun, dun, dun. Okay? Well, you might know Octavius by another word. Caesar Augustus. Ah, is it starting to fall in place? And Antony, you might know his girlfriend's name, Cleopatra. All right? So what happens is the old Rome dies, the new Rome takes over with Caesar Augustus. And because of the battle there, Caesar says, man, this is a nice place. I'm going to reward my soldiers who fought so well, and I'm going to settle them here in Philippi. So now it becomes a military town. And to reward them, I'm going to make it a Roman colony. This is all going to come to play in the birth. And because it's a Roman colony, I'm going to make it part of Rome, and I am going to begin building Roman roads. So it's going to now be a major thoroughfare and it's going to be part of the trade routes. So it's going to become wealthy. Ah, so the timing all takes place. Now the timing is right. You need to understand, we always need to understand that there is a slow work of God. God is never in a hurry to do something quickly. God waited until it was the right time for this church. Now notice what he, God does next. It's found in the book of Acts, starting in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phygeria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul wants to go on a second missionary journey. And so he has this plan. He's already mapped out. This is where we're going to go. But notice what happens. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So everywhere Paul says, well, this is my plan. And the Spirit shows up and says, Change of plans. Change of plans. Change of plans. Well, where am I supposed to go? It's not time for me to tell you yet. All I need to tell you is change of plans. Hmm. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul had seen a vision. And immediately we sought him to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And following day to Neapolis, and there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony, and we remained in this city for several days. They had a plan. They had a plan. And they were going to do it. And th their plan wasn't wrong. 
But God had another plan, and they were willing to listen. Can I, can I take a little tiny rabbit trail? Your elder board is filled with godly men who try to make godly plans. But can I share something with you? They are more committed to listening to God than they are to the plans they make. Did you hear what I had to say? They are going to make good, well-thought-out, godly plans, but they have made it their decision to always listen to God first. So once in a while, they may start going down a road, and God says, hey, stop. I want you to take a left turn at Albuquerque. But God, we didn't want to do that. That wasn't in our plan. I don't care. Okay, God. Now our prayers that we will be like Paul and Silas and crew, because did you catch that key word there? Immediately they did it. Immediately. They did it. They moved. Wow. What obedience. What trust. What maturity. They didn't have a debate. They just did what God told them to do. No questions. No committees. Let's just do it. And so they did. Now notice the next thing. The unique membership of God's church. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. There's, this is important. You see, this was a Roman colony, so they worshiped the Roman gods, including Caesar. So in order to worship, they couldn't worship inside the city because that would be illegal. So they had to go outside the gate. And they had to go far enough away that it would be okay. So they go outside the gate to the riverside. Now normally, Paul would look for a synagogue. A synagogue, though, takes ten Jewish men to form. There's not ten Jewish men in Philippi. There's not ten godly men. Because there's not ten godly men, they couldn't form a synagogue. In fact, notice what Paul finds. We went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed there was a place of prayer. So if they couldn't have a synagogue, they were going to have a prayer meeting. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. You know who they found? They found godly women. You know, often in church history, it's not the men, it's the women who have moved God's agenda. It's the women who've stepped forward and said, we'll be counted faithful, not the men. And they found these women. Now, you may hear people today say, well, you know, Paul... Paul had problems with women. Paul didn't like women. Paul, Paul was against women. Paul hated women. Paul, blah, 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 blah. I want you to see something here. It says, and they sat down. That is a rabbinic term. That means he took a seat of teaching authority. The rabbis of that day would not teach the Bible to women. They would not teach the scriptures to women. They would have walked on. Paul exalted the role of women. Paul believed in women as sisters in Christ. 
You need to understand that. And so he started to teach. He started to teach. Notice what he discovers. One, of a, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of, the, of the God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized her and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Well, here's the first person. Her name's Lydia. She's not a Jewish lady. She's from Thyatira. That, that's Greek territory. That's not, that's not Jerusalem. Not only that, she's a businesswoman. And she's a high-end businesswoman. That seller of purple, there were only two ways to make purple back then. You had to either dig up this very rare root from a matter plant, and it was very intense to make the purple dye. Or you had to go get these shellfish, and you had to take the glands of the shellfish, and it was a very rare shellfish. And you had to, so only the rich of the rich of the rich, the uber rich, could afford this kind of purple. She had the connections of the connections. She is a wealthy, powerful woman who is not Jewish. But God has worked on her. You notice it says here that she is a woman who has, um, is a worshiper of God. She has rejected the pantheon. She's rejected the gods of that day. And she has focused her heart. She says, I know there's one true God. I don't know who He is, but I'm going to worship Him. And I want to discover Him. And notice what God does. You see, friends, if you are here with an open heart seeking God, I want to show you something. It says this. The Lord opened her heart. God desires to open the heart. She had no ability on herself to come to God, but God reached down with His mercy and His love, and He opened her heart. He gave her the ability to respond. He gave her the ability to understand. He gave her the ability to seek. And He reaches in. And he makes clear the words of Paul. And she receives them. And she responds. And she had brought her household with, this, with her. And, and so she receives. And here's what happens. She makes a public testimony immediately. She says, baptize me. And all her households with her goes, me too? So the first meeting Paul has this woman in her household, that would have been her relatives, that would have been her servants. They all come and they're baptized. And this is a woman of means. This is a woman who, is, who had to think through the truths of the Gospel. Who had to think through the truths of the Scripture. Who had been reasoned from a worldview point of view. That's why Jim is teaching that class. She's taught. She responds. Notice that she has connections. Notice she has wealth. Notice she has power. She invites them and says, Guys, Hotel Lydia is open for business. Could you imagine 
Paul, Silas, Timothy, they've been sleeping in tents. And she says, come to my place. And she opens the door and they're like, whoa, this is cool. Thanks, God. Way to go. I could see Timothy going, Paul, can you lead more people like this to the Lord? This is fun. And you know what? Sometimes, Paul, God leads those with wealth and connections to the Lord. But God's not done yet building his church. Keep going. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. She's on the other end of the spectrum. She's the lowest of the low. She's the oppressed. She has nothing. She carries out the bidding of her master. She is abused and mistreated and unloved and unwanted. And notice she's a slave girl who is demon-possessed. She had a spirit of divination. That is literally the word python spirit. It has to do with going back to the, the uh, Delphi. There was a um, speaker at Delphi that would tell or foretell fortunes there. And the idea is she is wrapped, being crushed by the spirit of this python spirit and forced to go along. She has no will of her own. She's possessed and forced. And she must be somewhat good at it because it brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She's the one they all came to. And so she followed Paul. She followed Silas. And she cries out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Did you catch anything false in what she was saying? Was she saying anything wrong? Nothing wrong. Then why was she doing it? I mean, she's demon-possessed. Doesn't Satan want to lie? Listen, Satan is trying to set her up to look like she's part of the group. You see, he's not afraid of putting a little bit of truth and a little bit of poison together. Because the best way to confuse people is to mix the two. Because we know when it's all false. We know when it's all a lie. But when it sounds good, some of his best potions have been done in the name of Jesus. Just because someone comes to you and says they're coming in the name of Jesus, we have been called to test the spirits. We've been called to test and make sure what they're telling us is true. And this is how we do it. We compare it to the truth. She kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. Isn't that a great phrase? I can see Paul. <sighs> Father, 
she's driving me crazy. Well, it's not her father. That spirit is driving me crazy. You notice he's never mad at her. Did you catch that? He's annoyed, but he's not annoyed at the victim. He's not annoyed at the victim. He has nothing but compassion and pity and brokenness for the victim. And we, as people who follow Jesus Christ, must always remember that. We must never be annoyed at those who are the victim of satanic attack. But he becomes annoyed. And finally, the father says to him, Okay, Paul. And he turns to the spirit and says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And whatever happened when the spirit left, it was immediate. It was powerful. The deliverance came. And it came in such a way that everyone could tell, everyone knew, and her owner saw, oh my goodness, look what happened. Our business is over. She's no longer a tool to our financial future. She's no longer a commodity. You see, she was never a human being in their eyes. She was just something to be used. Notice what happens. Their greed turns to vengeance. They grab Paul and Silas. They drag him before the magistrates. They say they then turn to racism. Do you catch that? These men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them, gave the orders to beat them with rods. And after they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with the stocks. Now, remember, this is a Roman colony. There was one question they were supposed to ask. There was one question, and they didn't ask it. And God's going to use that in a minute. And I'm not going to tell you until it's time. But their rage turns to racism. Their vengeance. Can I take a little rabbit trail here? I keep wondering, what happened to the little girl? The Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't tell us. Can I tell you what I hope? This is not scripture, folks. This is a Gregism. It's not scripture. I could see Paul as they're starting to grab him, whisper in Lydia's ear, go buy her. And I could see Lydia walk over just nonchalantly going, 
hey, she's no worth, not worth anything to you. I'll give you five shekels for It's more than you'll get on open market. Five shekels. Sure. And the girl who had been set free spiritually now is set free physically. Is it in Scripture? No. It's just what I hope. We'll find out in heaven. Do not go somewhere and say, this is what happened. Our pastor said so. Because that's called heresy. But that's what I hope. Now we're going to see the third unique member. We got one who was on top of the social pecking order. We got one now who has nothing to her name at the bottom. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Now, when they took him, notice they said the inner jail. See, there was, it, jails were in a ring. There were the least dangerous were on the outer, the most dangerous were in the inner. And when they put him in stocks, it wasn't like what we see on TV where they kind of sit there, you know, it wasn't like that at all. They twisted their bodies to make it as uncomfortable as possible. The idea was to cause as much pain and suffering. So these men who are beaten are now suffering the ultimate pain. And notice how they respond. They were praying and singing hymns to God. This jail that had heard screams and curses and crying and weeping is now hearing something it had never heard before. Praises and singing and prayers. And the prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened, and the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Whoa, 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 I'm going too fast, too far. Okay, first of all, you know who the jailer was? What kind of town was this? I told you earlier. Shout it out. It was what kind of a town? Uh, Roman town, and it was who settled there? Who, who got settled there? Military. Who do you think was in charge of the jail? It was a military man. Probably either reward for good deeds or he was wounded in battle or too old to go out. But he was military. He was a man who knew duty and honor. He knew what it meant to carry out what he was told. But guess what? In the Roman legion, you did not know mercy for mercy was weakness. And we see when he put him in the stocks, he showed no weakness, no mercy. But notice what he does. Pulls his sword. Why? Because he knows that if he does not take his life and all these people have escaped, it doesn't matter that there was an earthquake. It doesn't matter that there was a good reason why they got out. His family would be executed for his failure unless he takes his own life. So he grabs his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing they had escaped. But Paul cries out, and for the first time in his life, this man hears something. He hears mercy. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. 
And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You. And you could tell that the jail is next to his home or part of his home, so his family have gathered with him, and your household, see, points to them. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They taught them at that moment and to all in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And he brought them into his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. This man who had never shown mercy, this man who had never been shown mercy, now is confronted with the mercy of God, and he repents. And he is filled with fear. And he cries out, what must I do to be saved? And the third member of the church is found. A blue-collar guy and his family. A lady at the top of the social pecking order. A girl at the bottom. A man in the middle. Hmm. What a unique church. What a unique church. But something I want you to get. As you look at each one of these people, there's a word that comes to mind. It's a word called transformation. I want you to think about this. Lydia is a woman of power. She's a woman of means. She's a woman of authority. And yet her first words are, if you judge me to be a woman of God, Her first words are words of humility. A heart that is used to being in charge now becomes a heart of humility. A heart that was used to using its resources for building its own kingdom now uses all her resources for building the kingdom of God. She had been transformed. The little girl at the moment of her transformation, it is so spectacular, so swift that anyone who looked at her and the men who owned her knew that their financial future was ruined because she was free. They knew that she was different. That her bondage was broken. You know, you look at the jailer. This man who had never known mercy now shows mercy. He takes these men into his home. He cares for their wounds. He feeds them. He rejoices. He shows them mercy. He shows them care. He shows them grace. He is transformed. 
As I've gone through this life, I've met people when they meet Jesus, they are truly transformed. The people who are proud become humble. The people who sought wealth now seek to use their wealth to promote God's kingdom. Those who were in bondage are set free. And you know, I've seen some people who have been set free immediately. I have seen others who while they were not set free immediately, they have been set free with a new desire. They've been set free from alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, you name it, with a desire to fight it every day. With a new inner strength to go after it every day with a new hope to put their hope on Jesus Christ every day and they take that hope and they use that hope and they see that they can use that hope to invest in others they have a desire not to be mastered by their addiction and they help others not to be mastered by it as well I have seen those who were hardened and cruel transformed into beacons of mercy and grace. They often become the first to bring the hope of light to the broken. But perhaps you're sitting here today and you're saying, Pastor, I'm not completely transformed. I, 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 I prayed the prayer and, and I know that I've had transformation take place in my life but I'm not completely transformed I want to share a promise with you you have to go back to Philippians chapter 1 and turn with me to verse 6 Philippians 1 verse 6 I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in that day of Jesus Christ Friend, here's the promise I want to give you. God will not abandon you in the process of transformation. He will continue His good work in you. And notice it says, until that day. So for some of us, we have to put our trust in the slow work of God. That that transformation process is a daily process. It's a slow process. But He's not going to give up on us. The fact of the matter is, do you see a daily transformation in you? For some, they have prayed a prayer, but they've never been transformed. For those, I would encourage that you would go back and cry out just as our friend the jailer did and say, what must I do to be saved? For you see, anyone who meets Jesus will be transformed. For some it will be immediate. For some of us it will be a process. But it is a process that has a promise. A promise that we will never be abandoned. We will never be left. That Jesus Himself will work with us throughout until He returns. So friends, I have a couple questions for you. Number one, have you met Jesus Christ? Has there ever come a place that you've been like Lydia or you've been like the jailer and said, what must I do to be saved? 
Have you ever put your faith and trust into the Lord Jesus Christ? If you haven't, I would love to talk with you at the end of the service. There'll be some people in the corner who would love to pray with you. Second, maybe you've prayed these words, but you haven't seen any transformation. My, again, I would invite you to go to that corner today and pray with some friends. And then perhaps also as well, you have seen transformation, and I want you to take that as encouragement. I told you there was one last thing. We're running out of time, so I need to bring it to a close. They were supposed to ask this question. Are you Roman? For if they would have asked that question, they wouldn't have beat Paul and Silas, for they were Roman. They had to have a trial. But they didn't. So the next day, the magistrates say, hey, you guys can go now. And Paul and Silas said, nope, we're Romans. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. So they came down and begged him to leave. And basically, Paul and Silas did this. Okay, we'll go, but give us enough time to do what we need to do. And it says they basically invested in the church of Philippi. Have you seen transformation in your life? Have you ever prayed and asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we ask that you'd be with us at this time. We ask that you would help us to be people who first ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Secondly, we would ask that you would walk with us as we walk through our transformation. That we'd put our trust in the slow work of God. And that we trust you each day for what you're going to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.